1: Welcome to the Florida Surf Film Festival podcast series, Surf Stories. I'm John Brooks, and with me is my co-host. I'm Kevin Miller. All right, so yeah, we're excited to bring you guys some stories. Um, Traditionally, we show you uh, these great stories in film format, but since uh, we can't do that right now, um, we decided to get some folks into the studio and get these stories down and just uh, found a different way to catalog them and be able to share them with you.
0: That's right. Um, you know, we've got a great first guest for the podcast today. His name is Frank Gilday. A lot of you may know him from the lineup, but he likes to fly under the radar. There's no social media or anything uh, particularly flashy about him other than his fantastically beautiful blonde hair and unreal cutback. Oh, and did I mention he can do a, a layback on a one-foot wave? You did. Okay, good. I'm making sure. He, he also started the Stetson surf club surf team actually when i was there back in 1989, demigod status yeah he's up there he's fiercely competitive and that's what's kind of interesting about the story you'll hear more about frank and uh his background when we get to it we want to get to a particular story though and uh what have you heard about this story
1: not a whole lot. I mean, I met Frank uh, through you uh, when we started doing the film festival, and uh, I just know a couple things about Frank, and that's that he's got a mean, layback hack, and he got struck by lightning. That's about it.
0: Yep, that's right. And that's the story that Frank's here to tell today. We're going to go ahead and uh, let Frank take it over from here. But for the record, Florida Surf Film Fo- Festival is sponsored by, actually presented by Monster Energy. And whether or not they want their name mentioned on this for, first podcast is. Not up to them. They don't (laughs) don't get the choice. We're (laughs) going to thank them anyway.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Thanks, Tim. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Tim. And uh, we love what we can do with uh, flying filmmakers out from all over the world. Um, Rourke is a special sponsor in our heart too. Um, They've come on board huge uh, to support the festival and make sure independent film and surfing is recognized by the local community. Absolutely. What are you drinking your cocktail out of tonight?
1: Oh, that glorious clinking sound that you'll hear throughout the podcast is the sound of a a beautiful uh, four-year Florida Canya dark rum from Nicaragua mixed with a little bit of Coca-Cola and coming out the orifice of a 28-ounce Yeti Rambler.
0: (laughs) I like that uh, we used orifice already in this podcast. So, hey, uh, thank you for joining us and uh, welcome to the show. Um, You'll hear more about our sponsors throughout this podcast, of course. Um, We particularly want to thank Atlantic Center for the Arts, uh, Brian Lehman Financial, and Globe uh, Apparel Footwear, mostly footwear, actually. Footwear. Yeah. No apparel. No apparel. (laughs) But hey, they they help us out huge, and Joji's been a big part of our success, along with many other people, especially the fans. So we'll get to it right now. And uh, anything else, John, before we move into it? I think we're good. Let's hear Frank's story. Okay, you got it.
1: We're here to talk about both of those things today. Um, but yeah, Frank, if you want to just uh, kind of start from the beginning and, and walk us through what what happened that day, and then you know, at, we, as we go beyond that, we can kind of go through what's the last couple of years have been like. Sure. So I'm
2: going to I'll tell the the lightning story is basically, I think, what we're what we're getting at here. Um, And so what happened was this in uh, 2018, June of 2018, I rolled down to the inlet. A lot of guys out, uh, you know, probably 40, 50 guys surfing. uh, Half the Smyrna crews out there and and everybody um, catching some good waves. And there was a storm off over Port Orange. We didn't think much of it. Um, you know, and then what we didn't know is that the wind switched at some point and the storm was on us in a matter of seconds. So everybody always says, well, why were you surfing out in the lightning storm? And it didn't, that wasn't how it was. We weren't surfing in lightning, but all of a sudden I turned and looked to the beach and I saw lightning striking the beach and people were mad panicking, you know, running for a park, running for Menorca. And uh, I said, man. I saw lightning hit the beach and I didn't really think it was safe to be running up the beach for cover. So what we did is we ran and hid under the boardwalk and there was about seven of us that made it up there um, while the storm was hitting all around us. And uh, I didn't think much of it, you know, Um, and I would do the same thing today. I'd run and hide under the boardwalk just looking for cover. But um, I don't think anybody really knew the severity of it at the time or how serious it could be. So the scenario was this. <clears throat> there were seven people. Um, I had Frank Melton and Rob Persan, two good friends of mine, literally sitting in a hole that they dug with their surfboards over their head because they were... You know, freaking out, and I had um, two other guys: Josh um, Barclift and Trent Sanders, two young guys. They were hiding, and we had myself and um, Kate Peoples, Yuri Peoples' daughter, mm-hmm. if you know Yuri the Shaper, and her boyfriend Connor Curtis, who was a ex Ranger. So we're under there, and we're kind of, you know, a little nervous, kind of laughing. And uh, I remember making a joke that in 20 minutes, the storm's going to pass winds offshore. We're going to have an inlet to ourselves. And that was it. It was lights out. So I know the story now because I had to piece it together from each person that was there. I'm going to tell you my version of what happened. Everybody uh, was affected and they're still affected to this day, regardless. So What happened was, lightning struck. We were all sitting in basically a circle under the boardwalk. Frank Melton and and Rob Persan were thrown up into the sand dunes. So it was almost like somebody dropped a hand grenade in the middle of the the circle. They were thrown to the north side of the boardwalk. I was thrown to the south side, so was Kate, so was Connor. Connor was thrown into a pole, he was wrapped around the pole, and he had some injuries from that. Uh, Kate was completely out of it from, you know, from the shock and the concussion of everything. Um, I was convulsing. Josh and Trent, they were okay. They jumped up and ran for the park to call 911. They were gone. So Frank and Rob get up, stand up, looking around. They see three people laying laying in the sand. Connor's obviously hurt. He's, he's unconscious. And He later comes to find he had a concussion. He had a bad knee injury from being thrown into the pole. Kate's kind of semi-conscious. She's crawling around. She's trying to help Connor. I'm in full convulsions. And then I stop breathing. And, you know, first I turn blue and then I turn gray. And that's it. So Rob and Frank look at each other. They're standing there. What do we do? Nobody knows CPR. So Frank says, I'm going to run to Menorca. I'm going to call 911. He didn't know that the other two guys went to call 911. It was a chaos. Yeah. And so he he runs over there yelling for help. And somebody did hear him on the balcony, and they called as well. Called 911. Rob doesn't know what to do. And I talked to him later to find out, like, what happened. And he uh, says, look, you stopped breathing. I had no idea what to do. So my first thought was to just breathe into your mouth and try to get your lungs to rise um, and, and try to get you breathing again. So he did. So at this time, and it wasn't working, obviously, or it wasn't working at the time. So at this time, Kate's trying to get... She's working on Connor to get him conscious. Connor's ex ranger, so he's been in combat situations. He thrives in combat, combat situations. But the thing about lightning is when it hit everyone, he had no control of his arms or his legs. So he woke up, looked over, recognized what was happening, wanted to to help. He couldn't get his anything to function. So he yells over to, to Rob and says, you know, stop doing the breaths and go to chest compressions. And then he goes back unconscious. Hmm. Rob's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. He's freaking out. You know, he, he's literally watching. He's just watched his friend die. He had, there's no response. There's no heartbeat. There's no pulse. There's no breath, nothing. So... He, he, he says, okay. He starts banging on, on my heart. He said he did that for four or five minutes. And finally, um, kick-started my heart. I got, he got a response. So I took a breath. <clears throat> my color came back. Um, but now there was a, a new problem. I hadn't been breathing. for My heart had stopped for five minutes. So my lungs had filled up with fluid.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And now I'm choking. Rob doesn't know it. He hasn't taken CPR class. He doesn't, he's just, he's just, you know, he's in shock like everybody else. Connor wakes up a second time, yelling, swearing. Ah, yeah, yeah. Looks over, gets his bearings, sees what's happening. Says, "Hey, you got to clear his airways. You got to turn him on the side, clear his airways." And then Connor passes out again. So, so, so he, at that time, Frank came back from Menorca, um, saw what was going on, put my head in his lap, had to, you know, scoop all the foam that was bubbling off from my lungs out of my mouth. He said that wasn't his best, his most pleasant experience, <laughs> but, uh, it got my breath, you know, it got me breathing again. So, um, that's, that's really basically what happened. Everybody has their own um, after effects and their own reactions and and some have lingering injuries. Like I can't really tell anyone else's stories, you know, for for each person. But I can tell you, having spoken with them, that even though this took, it'll be two years ago, like this week, uh, everybody is still uh, dealing with in some capacity um, what happened that night, whether it's like, you know, Connor's knee still hurts from you know the pole, getting thrown in the pole, or maybe somebody has some PTSD type of um, effects. So it's no joke; like it really is no joke. Which is one of the reasons why I wanted to, to talk to you guys, and it was it's a great opportunity. And I thank you for having me in and let people know, um, you know, how serious that can be. And I say that because it's two years later, and I'm still dealing with the physical consequences of that that evening. So I don't know if you want me to yeah. get into that. And what,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, so before we go down that yeah. kind of the road to recovery, mm-hmm. um, so kind of where, where the story ended for you um, just now was... Frank comes back. Frank Melton comes back. He's clearing your airway, and you've started to breathe again. Um, So at that point, 911's been called. What was the wait time that you had?
2: So interesting. That's a a good question. Uh, You would think it would be quick, but the people from Menorca that called said it was at the first boardwalk. So now it's dark. This happened in the evening. Right. And lightning's still popping off everywhere. And they go to the wrong boardwalk mm-hmm. and they can't find us, which means, OK, I'm I'm out, I'm unconscious, so I can't do anything. Um, somebody has to run out and flag down. Help. Sure. Everybody's just been struck by lightning. Nobody. <laughs> nobody's feeling you know, very uh, secure at the moment uh, doing that. Sure. So, so at, at it, this
1: it, point, it, just it, to clarify, at this point, you're you're breathing and have a heartbeat, but you're unconscious. Correct. Okay.
2: And I think uh it was a good hour before rescue got to um our location. And then you know that's just them getting there you still had to get an ambulance down there. Sure. Um it was it was it took a while. Did
1: they go did did the the fire rescue crew that responded did they go park in the park and come down the boardwalks or did they come down on the sand? I don't know. Don't know. Yeah,
2: I don't know. That's a question for for probably Frank or, or Rob. They might have told me, and I just don't remember. Sure. Yeah, there was a lot going on. I, I only woke up twice. I woke up once. I heard some screaming. I opened my eyes, and it was RP, or Rob Persan, giving me mouth-to-mouth. And I remember thinking, boy, this is really weird. There's been an accident. I, I hear screaming. And then when I saw his face... The fear on his face when I opened my eyes, I, I, I knew something was, was really wrong. I just didn't know what. Did you know it it was
1: th- that it was wrong with you?
2: No, I didn't think it was me. Yeah. I, thought it, I really thought it was kind of like a dream where there was a car accident. That, that's what my mind was saying. Oh, there's been a ba- really bad accident because I could hear screaming. I don't even know who was screaming.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and then I woke up once in the ambulance because I couldn't breathe because of my lungs, you know, I'd filled up and they had to suction out, all that. And then I passed out again. And then I woke up in the hospital. You know, when I, when I woke up in the hospital, I didn't have any physical effects at the time. I didn't have, I had a little bit of pain in my neck and my mus- muscles were tight from the, I guess, all the electricity. But I thought, you know, by the next morning, I said, oh, I'm out of here. You know, <laughs> good to go. <laughs> and I've come to find that wasn't the case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. Uh, So the the reason I I asked you that is just because for for listeners that aren't familiar with the setup down at the inlet at New Smyrna, if an ambulance comes down the beach, they could be as close as 50 feet away from you. But if they have to go to the park, they have to go park in the park and then wheel the stretcher out almost a mile of boardwalk before they get to you. Yeah. And so that that would make a big difference in response time.
2: Right. You know, another interesting thing about that park that I'll just let listeners know is this, for what it's worth. I was one of the first guys to run up to the boardwalk. And I remember Kate and Connor coming running up behind me. And as they were running up, that boardwalk in the last year or two has been wrapped with a chain link fence to keep people from falling through the the gaps. Mm -hmm. And I remember I touched it and it was humming with electricity. And I thought maybe lightning struck the other side of the boardwalk and it's just coming through the the metal. But the reality is that that boardwalk is wrapped in a huge metal casing. Mm. So A giant lightning rod. Exactly. (laughs) I I really believe that uh, that could be the case. I don't know for sure and I can't prove it. But when they came running up, I said, look, don't touch this board, don't touch this because I can literally, I can feel it humming. And that could have just been the electricity in the air. Sure. You know, if you've, seen, if you've ever been on the beach and somebody's hair is standing up or something like that, maybe it was just that. But I won't touch that thing again. I can yeah. tell you that for sure. <laughs> so,
1: you know, we'll see. So now, so okay, so coming back uh, to that, oh, oh, one other question I had, did, uh, did you get innovated on the right in?
2: N- intubated which is
1: like where they put an endotracheal tube down your throat and breathe for you or were you breathing adequately enough on your own at that time? i don't think
2: so i think they just gave me the suction and i was breathing on my own okay yeah i yeah i, I want to say no on that okay i, I would have remembered that i think okay or waking up and had to you know know yeah. something was there yeah
1: so, so now how how long were you admitted into the hospital before you got released to go home
2: i was there about three days three or i think it was three days i was in there um The first night I was in a little pain. My muscles were a little sore. Obviously, everybody was upset. Uh, You know, my wife and daughter were up in Jacksonville when they got the call. They were on lightning break on a soccer field. Uh, And Frank called up to my wife, Jessica, and said, hey, I don't want to panic you, but your husband, you know, was struck by lightning. They're on lightning strike. And so they, you know, they had to drive an hour and a half to get home. Um, So everybody was kind of concerned, obviously, uh, worried. I didn't have a lot of pain that night. I had a little bit of soreness. I I, I think they put me on morphine for that, and then, uh, but I never felt really damaged. I you know, you break a bone, you have pain. Sure. You know, I never had anything like that, so I, I really thought, cool, just get me out of here. I'm supposed to be in Huntington next week for the NSSA Championships, and I I was really excited about that. I'd been training for eight months with, with Rob Persan, which is why he you know we were together.
0: Um, you were thinking that in the hospital that you were going to go to Huntington.
2: My first words were, "Hey, I'm totally fine. I'm going to. I'm catching a flight next week. I'm going to Huntington next week, and I'm out of here. You, you know, you can let me go. You can, you can let me go now. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we're not letting you go. But I. But again, I. What, this is what I didn't know. So lightning, I think, is like 30 million volts or something, and when it hits. It does all kinds of strange things. It can cook your brain. It can um, burn you. It can create neurological damage. So what I didn't know is that in my case, my damage was nerve damage, which you, I couldn't feel yet. I was going to get there. Right. You know, so I was all excited. And, and my mindset was, even if I am hurt, ah, eh, one month, six weeks, I'm back. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll train. I'll pick up where I left off. I'll, I'll run. I'll, tr- I'll I'll surf. I'll I'll lift, and I'll be 100. percent I mean, it, if it t- if it took me six weeks, I'd be surprised, and that was definitely not the case. But that was really...
0: in the bed in the hospital. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah, I was
2: like, I'll be, I'll be
1: fine. Like anything else,
2: you just you, you heal, you work through it. It's just, a lot of it's just your mindset. Uh...
1: F- Florida surfers are so optimistic. <laughs> yeah. <right>? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I've
1: been forced
2: to, to, to slow down and reevaluate things. So, yeah,
1: um, but
2: that is what I was thinking, and, and uh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't to be the case. Yeah. Uh, you
0: know. Well, I remember seeing you that summer uh, a couple of months later, and, and it it took quite a lot for you to get down to the inlet and uh, boogie board and and get just to get in the water. But you were just as aggro as ever.
2: Well, I was determined to get better. So yeah, to your point. If you want to go into the recovery side. things,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like, like Kevin said, so now we, we've heard the, the incident or the event and you, you were in the hospital, you've been released and now, you know, kind of take us down that road of what the last couple of years has been like for you in terms of getting back to just normal everyday activity, getting back in the water things like that.
2: Yeah. So after the third day, um, you know, they, they, I went home basically. And um, I started to realize pretty quickly that I had some issues. I wasn't quite sure what they were yet, but things, my body wasn't working the way it should be. And so I thought, well, Huntington's out. It's June. Okay. I have until September and I can go to the East Coast Championships for ESA up in Hatter's, which <laughs> I love to do that. Cause it's just, I love Hatter's and I, and I love all the surfing against all the boys up there. So that came and went. But so what happened was this: I realized um, that I couldn't really walk, and I, and I thought I don't have any physical injury that you can see. So what's going on here? I went to the cardiologist, I went to the neurologist, and basically the lightning had hit me on the right side. We think it, you know, in the upper right quadrant. We think it went out in the lower left quadrant because of the areas that were affected, and I had a lot of peripheral and motor nerve damage. And I didn't know this at the time, but you know, you have your vestibular nerves in your ears, which control balance kind of like equilibrium. Mm -hmm. I never, I never knew what a vestibular (laughs) nerve was. Why would I know that? Right. Well now I know because it's not working. Right. You know, so it was all part of this nerve damage where I would touch the corner of a table with my leg and it would feel like somebody stabbed me with a knife because the peripheral nerves are sending the wrong message back.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So basically it's just scrambled everything, you know? Um, So I couldn't walk. So I went to the cardiologist. He said, look, your heart stopped for five minutes. It's scars. Um, I just think you should sit on the sofa for six months. So I listened to him. I went home and uh, I didn't say anything. I was not liking that uh, prognosis. And I said, uh, man, six months is, is New Year's. It's June. You know what happens to a 51-year-old guy who sits on a couch for six months <laughs> and who loves beer? They're like, Forget it. It turns a into a 71-year-old guy. Hair, guy. Yeah. Those, guys, those guys never come back. They don't. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. You know, they're on a long board, They can't shortboard again. They've they gained 40 pounds. And then they just age out. And I was like, man, I don't really want that. So I said, I, but I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. So the only thing I could do is I could stand up straight and I could take about a three-inch shuffle step. If I, if I look straight ahead, I couldn't look over my shoulder, I'd fall over. And I said, okay, well, that, there's my baseline. Okay, I can do that. So that means that I could walk. If I had to, I could walk to the ocean from my house. And that means I could ride a boogie board because you can't fall off a boogie board. So boogie boarding was never cool for me. <laughs> I never really thought it was the sport I wanted to to be in. But uh, I, I went to – and I said, where the hell am I going to get a boogie board? I don't have one. <laughs> None of my friends ride them. So there's one guy in town, if we, you know, if we're going to talk about small town stories, who is Alex Hillier, who's a professional boogie boarder. Yeah, I know Alex. And I got with him. And uh, super cool guy. He was concerned. And he said, here uh, – because I went to him and I said, hey, what to get a good one, what's it going to cost me? Because I just wanted to buy a good one. He goes, man, don't buy one. He goes, I, hold on. Wait right here. He runs his car. He comes back. He says, you take this. You take it as long as you need it, which I thought was – a Great gesture. I barely knew the guy. At the time. That's awesome. It was, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was, it was just great. So what I did was I, uh, my, my wife and my daughter were adamantly against me, you know, going down to the inlet and boogie boarding because of my condition. But it is what it is. So my daughter walked me down to the inlet starting the end of June for probably three months. And it took, the inlet's about, I don't know, four or five hundred yards from my house, from my boardwalk it took me an hour to get there because I was walking so slow and then I had to put on my fins and that was a whole another 10 minutes just to get two flippers on. And then the first couple of times I went out and one of the first times it was with you, Kevin, I, I do remember that. I think it was when Jamie Brissig, or no, that was
0: a we did later. a drifter.
2: Yeah, we did a drifter and I was just floundering, frustrated, but, uh, but I felt like because nothing was working, my hands and feet weren't working that um, sitting on the couch wasn't the answer. Forcing the blood through my body and movement was was going to be my my key to success. But it didn't feel cool carrying a boogie board. I felt like an old man. And <laughs> I did not like it at all. I will say this. After three months went by, I started to have a really good time on the boogie board. I started to like catch some waves and get barreled. And I, I thought,
1: you know i was gonna say I like see why guys do this it's, i was gonna say yeah. despite the fact that it's that you you it wasn't something you ever envisioned yourself doing and, and you didn't view it as like a, a cool thing yeah the first wave you caught yeah had, I remember that, that had to be insane i, I totally
2: remember it I, because we were you know i was floundering and floundering and floundering you get one little you know whitewater dumper and you're going straight it's like this is this is not fun but I was at the inlet one night, I was with my daughter and I, and I got one outside and I came through the flats and then the inside set up and it just threw over me this barrel and I came out, you know, almost by Menorca and I go, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. that's great. I, I said to myself, if that's the worst, it's going to, if, if, if I don't get any better yeah, and I stay like this for the rest of my life, you know what, at least I can do that. Yeah. Still get barreled. Still get barreled. I can yeah. still paddle out. I can kick around. I can still ride waves. My friends, they 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 knew. Um, I remember walking down with you one night, Kevin, to the inlet. And I remember thinking, God, I'm walking down with a couple guys with boards, and I'm here to end with my boogie board in and I just, it's nothing about it I like, but it, it served its purpose. Sure, and, and I and, and I. uh I don't think boogie board is boogie boarding is uncool anymore. I actually, it holds (laughs) a place in my heart for me. So nice. And uh, yeah, and those tricks are hard. So when I see, like (laughs) when I see Alex Hillier doing those El Rolos and stuff on his Instagram, I have a new appreciation for the the difficulty of some of that stuff. Um, So, so that came and went. I was, that stopped when my daughter was getting ready to leave for college. For whatever reason, every time we'd go to the inlet, We'd see a shark, big shark, and I'm, you know, dragging two legs through the water. Golly, <laughs> yeah, man, I don't need a lightning strike and a shark to bite. But uh, she was leaving, getting ready to leave in January for UCLA to play soccer. And the last time we surfed together there, or I boogie boarded, was when this big, massive shark swam by, and I looked at her, and she looked at me, and I said. You're going to UCLA to play soccer. I don't think you can afford, you know, to, a shark bite at, or to miss a, be missing a calf at this point. So <laughs> we're done. We're done with this part of my rehab. And that was about September, late September maybe. Uh, and then I, I, I thought, yeah, I'm excited. I can get on it. You know, S- September came and went. I never made Hatteras. So now I'm pushing the, the goalpost down the road again, which was frustrating. But I was like, okay, I'm ready to start. Let me, let me get on a surfboard now. So I took out. My son's Alva, big, you know, floaty board. I was like, ah, this will be easy to ride. Who's here in
0: the studio with us, by the way, Frank Jr.
2: <laughs> Frank Jr. is here. So I stole his equipment and then uh, ran into a whole new set of problems, which uh, was that my, the signals of my nerves to the muscle to the brain were still not working. So if you've ever taken two sneakers or seen where they take two sneakers and they tie the laces together and they throw them up like over the, the, the wire. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well that's what would happen from my ankles down. My, my feet would wrap around each other like that because I couldn't feel them. Mm. And so after I get, start to get up, it would be like, you suddenly tied my feet together really fast. And then I would just fall over. I couldn't even get to my feet. And I just, so the first time that happened, I was surfing down at Frank's conda and, uh, I was like, this got to be some kind of cruel joke, man. Like, I was getting ready to go to hunting. And I, 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 this is worse than a beginner. Like, really, it's just terrible. So you, you, I've not only regressed, i regressed to the point of, you know, somebody that's starting today have, that has never surfed before will be surfing better than me. Like, the, the injustice of it all. <laughs> so, I had to come to grips with that. And so uh, what I did is I said, okay, uh, there's not much I can do. And I remember a session we had Kevin, down at Frank's condo where uh, I just kept throwing myself over the ledge. It was, it was a decent sized day and I'd start to get to my feet and then I just get pitched. And let me tell you, if we're talking surfing, you know, the frustration of going over the falls 20 times in a row will make you want to quit. (laughs) You don't love it enough.
1: (laughs) You don't think you're going
2: to get better. You're going to stop doing it. But I'll always get one wave you know, in a two hour session, I'd get one. And so I could, I said, every time I said, all right, I got one, man. Like there's hope here. You know, I'm off the boogie board. I'm not back where I was, but man, I think it's coming. So three more months, three more months. And then, you know, three months would come, six months would come. And this went on until basically present day. Um, But I will say this about uh, Frank Melton, we used to run heats for fun against each other. We've we've been doing that for over a decade. Every time we surf, we run fifteen twenty minute heats against each other, just so we can punish the other guy with with bragging rights. Sure. And uh, that guy, my best friend in the world, he uh, he never took it easy on me. The minute I was able, <laughs> the minute I was able to stand up, that guy comes and he says, "Come on, we're running heats. We're running heats." And I and I would go. What are you kidding me? Like, I'm going to lose every time. So, but we did it. And so that's been at least a year and a half of me losing heats uh, to Frank uh, for fun, bragging rights only. Meanwhile,
0: you have been beating me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Kevin, maybe. He says that, but I don't really believe him. But I I have gotten a few in the last six months. I've gotten to where, uh, because it's all score based. So you go to the falls, what do you score that? You can't even score it. It's, it's you duck points. Yeah. So, uh <laughs> but we've been doing that forever. And it's just a, it's just a great sign of uh his friendship and what it means to me and the fact that uh he wasn't going to take it easy on me. You know what I mean? Like, I never wanted a guy that was like, oh man, you're so broken. I'm so sorry. like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> <Yeah>. I don't want to hear
1: No,
2: no, no. I'd rather, uh you know, go out there and um him punish me. Or me get a heat. I've gotten some heats off him. So, of course, on his ride home, I'm calling him saying, what was the score today? Who who won that today? So it works both ways a little bit. Um, But, yeah, so I did that until basically the present. And I'd say I'm probably 70% back uh, in my surfing. Like I'm I'm like an average guy, which is okay. Again, it's like the boogie board. If this is the, you know, if I only get to here – Sure. That's it. I can still go out. Well, well Kevin, we surfed the big hurricane swell.
0: Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. I,
2: I was actually I was a little nervous. It got big. The wind went offshore. I mean, Shallows was breaking two miles out to sea, and it was, I don't know how, maybe a true six, eight-foot, 20-knot uh, west winds, and we all went down, and, and uh, we waited for that wind to switch, and it switched, and then it was game on, and, and I remember thinking, I have no idea how this is going to play out, hmm. you know? And we did that day – and you were there, Junior, right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We did a seven-mile drift and, and surfed that the whole way. And I didn't make every wave, but same thing again. I was like, man, you know, if I can – I can still go out when it's big. Yeah. And it was a little gnarly with the wind. You know, it was, it was strong wind, and I thought, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm three out of five drops here. I'm okay with that. I can still charge if I – you know, if I have to. So, yeah. so, So it was little building blocks of – you know progress and confidence and signs that things were getting better it was just real <coughs> excuse me really really slow, yeah, you
1: know? so now because your injuries were primarily neurological um did you do any physical therapy or were you like prescribed any physical therapy
2: yeah i did and, and it and it really helped me um I had to uh because things weren't working right so i, go- I went to physical therapy i went to uh d one in um Lake Mary. And they had a, they had a physical therapist who specialized in, um, Olympic athletes with nerve damage. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted athletics and nerve damage. So it was kind of targeted. And, uh, so I went in there and I said, Hey, look, I got struck by lightning and my right side's not working. My lat's not working. And it turned out it wasn't my, my lat muscle. It was my serratus, which was creating problems because uh, it wasn't work. It wasn't functioning. So we had to isolate the muscle. And uh, I, I, again, I remember the first time she gave me a, a dumbbell and it was a five pound pink girl's <laughs> dumbbell. And I was like, why are you giving me this?
1: The boogie board of yeah, dumbbells. Yeah, it's like a boogie board <laughs> story.
2: Yeah. So I go, why are you giving me this? Uh, and she goes, I want you to take that. And I want you to press it over your head with your right hand. And I was like, this, was, this is a joke. So I, I go to do it and I couldn't lift it and I, because it was isolating where the, where the problems were. And I thought, wow, that's really weird. I first of all, I didn't even know that, you know. Uh, so to answer your question, PT was was great in um, in figuring out what I what I needed to do. So a lot of my things were, I was doing balance exercises that they give to the elderly because when you're older, you start losing your balance, but you kind of lose it slowly. So the the exercises I had would be, you know, like a a single leg, um, like a deadlift or something like that. And I couldn't do them in the beginning. I can do them yeah. now. It's, they're still very hard. Anything one legged or stand on one leg and then close your eyes. I had what's called precipiation, which is your awareness of your limbs in space it's because the nerves aren't sending the right signals. So even when it, when I got better and I was able to jog, I could never sprint. Because once I started running fast, the signal wouldn't work any longer. So my feet would just mm. do this weird thing where they go out on their own, and then it fall. Mm. So I can so I can jog fast, but I can't I can't sprint. Even now, I can't sprint yet. Yeah. Still don't have any feeling in my parts of my hands or parts of my feet, and and it's still like the last mile. So
1: yeah, and um, you mentioned that the cardiologist when you talked to the cardiologist that uh, that he had indicated that because you your heart hadn't been beating for. Approximately four or five minutes that you had some cardiac scarring. Yeah. So do, said, you, do you have any ongoing troubles with or difficulties with that, or as it relates to that?
2: I do actually. So I thought I was past all that. I thought, okay, we're making these, making this progress. We're making these strides. I feel pretty good. So about a year into it, um, here here comes what what we've come to find is a lot of lightning strikes create problems one and two years down the road mm-hmm. internally, and you don't know it's happening so one of the side effects of which was pretty obvious when it started of lightning or electrocution is um, it affects your vision creates cataracts mm-hmm. so one day I was like I can't see very well so I go to the doctor Says, yeah we just saw you and your eyes were fine and now you have cataracts and I said well clearly that's from the lightning so uh, I, I dealt with that for about six months and then it got so bad it got aggressive that I had to get cataract surgery, which I just had last this past January. So I go for cataract surgery. I'm a little nervous. I'm not. I hate doctors. I hate needles. I hate scalpels. But it was so bad I had to do it. So I was in January. Go get both eyes done. Come out. And I could see 2020. I needed readers for books, you know, close. But it was like a whole new world for my surfing. Wow, I can see everything now. Like Frankie will tell you, there was times when I'd be at the inlet or or there'd be people next to me and I couldn't no longer see who they were. Um, so that was a big you know benefit to me. And I thought, yeah, great, that's the last step. Again, we're just pushing the the, gu- <laughs> the, the goalpost out. So this was just past January. So I spent about six weeks surfing training i'm starting to feel good again i I really feel like my surfing's coming back got some new equipment and i'm like wow okay this was the last thing this was the last leg so about i don't know eight weeks ago or something i'm on the phone 10 o'clock in the morning and uh in in a matter of two hours or so my whole right eye goes completely 100 percent blind can't see that's what is that about must be related to this to the cataract surgery now, this is in the middle of COVID. So I call the eye doctor. Yeah, my wife's like, well, well, why are we even talking? Call the doctor. So I call the doctor. They say, get down here immediately. I go down to Orlando. Um, sitting in the waiting room, I look down, I realize I have two different colored shoes on. And I'm like, <laughs> you got to be kidding! I, I, that was my reaction, too. I just started laughing. I, just, I, I, just, I looked at my wife, and I go, can you believe this? I called the nurse. She got a laugh out of it. And uh, it was a little embarrassing, but funny. And then the doctor comes out and it was no longer funny at this point. And she, he she said, you have a detached retina mm. and you, you have, you know, basically 72 hours. And if you don't get it fixed, you're going to be bl- permanently blind in your right eye. Mm. So I go, oh, that's is great. Um, and she goes, we've already forwarded your file. You have to go downtown. You have to go to the retina specialist. You need to leave now. And I thought, man, I just got up for a regular work day. This is not, this wasn't in my plans. Again, you know, it's not three months. It's not six months. It's not a year. You're still dealing with it. It's frustrating. So uh, we go down there and the doctor comes out and he says, they take pictures. They look at, at the eye and he comes out and he says, what happened to you? He said, your eye is like destroyed inside. You have all this pigment that shouldn't be there. You have scar tissue. That's just massive amounts of scar tissue. So to answer your question, my, I had, the lighting effect my, affected my eyes. And for the last two years, scar tissue has been forming behind my, my right eye specifically, which is the side I was hit. And that eventually uh, made the back of the eye lose its elasticity, and then the retina pulls off, and then you have no vision. So here we go. What do we got to do, doc? Doc says, Monday, you're in. We're going we're gonna to get this thing. And uh, I said, okay. Not looking forward to that surgery. That was a, that was a total nightmare. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs> um, needles in the eye are never fun, and uh, it was it was terrible. And then I came out, and uh, when I came out, I was still blind. I got about three percent, five percent of vision vision returning over the course of the next three four weeks. And I thought, okay, here again, I'm coming back. We'll get right through this. Go back for the checkup. Doctor says, hate to tell you this, but Scar tissue is reformed again. We're going back in a second time. We don't know what to expect. You know, um, I don't want to, I don't want you to think you'll ever have your full vision again.
1: Mm.
2: And, uh, and I thought, man, so prior to that checkup, I had been, you know, surfing. And then when that, after that first surgery, that part of the eye is where I look backside So again, here we go. we slide back, I was making this recovery. Now all of a sudden I can't see my backside very well and I'm frustrated, but you know, we're talking about surfing and in the big picture, you know, what is that really worth? Which we could talk about that, but um, your vision is your vision. And it's the same. It's that silly cliche of, you don't appreciate anything until you lose it. And obviously nobody wants to be blind. Yeah. And I remember what happened because you can close your eye and say, oh, this is what it would be like to be blind. That's one thing. It's another thing when your eye is black and you're willing it to see and it's not seeing anything, and that's scary. And then you've only got one left. Yes. So if something happens there, yeah, it, forget surfing. Your whole life is going to change. So I, was, I had some stress over that. So We did the operation last Monday. I'm, I have, this week I go back, and we'll see. And, again, we'll push the goalpost down another couple of months. If uh, you know, if I get a decent amount of vision in there, I'll be right back in the water. And if I if I can't see fully backside, then I just change where I do my turn. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. really. I've dare, already thought
1: it through. You yeah. go Derek yeah. Hines style. Yeah, that's right. Well,
2: yeah, and so <laughs> it, it's it's funny you say that because for everybody that has something, there's somebody that has it worse. So even if I got 25% of my vision, I'd have, I'd be in better shape than, than Derek. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And here's another thing I was thinking about. I was coming back from the inlet a couple of weeks ago. I was walking back and I was bitching about my eye with my friend. I was like, I can't see. I'm frustrated. Ah. And this woman's walking up towards me and she says, hi, I couldn't tell who it was at first. She had a hat and glasses on. And then I realized it's Kate Wiley. And for anybody that knows the Wiley's are a huge surf family, uh, I think legends in New Smyrna Beach, um, the whole family. Right? Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: And so um, we start talking and I said, you know, how's Bill? And uh, I've surfed against Bill competitively, longboard and shortboard. The guy is amazing. Lily's one of the best nose riders around. Yep. Um, phenomenal surfer. Kate's a great surfer. And this is what Kate said to me. And I, and I hope I'm not saying, you know, putting something out there that I, that I shouldn't, but I don't think so. Um, She said, well, Bill is in a home because he has Alzheimer's now. Mm -hmm. And she said that, and it came on fast. And she said that, um, I hope that I'm able to see him before he passes away. Because with COVID, I can't go in to see him. So I thought about what she said for a second. And I said to myself, man. What am I bitching about? Like, okay, yeah. I, look, I, I, got, I, still have a, I still have an eye. You know, this guy, he's not surfing anymore and he's in the final chapter. And what are they going through as a family? You know what I mean? So, this is really this is what I thought. Um, so, yeah, you have to, you, you have, you only have two choices here. You curl up in a ball and you suck your thumb and you cry, woe is me. Mm-hmm. Or you say to yourself, this is the cards I've been dealt. What do I do?
0: Yeah, oh my god, I yeah. think I would be the guy on the ground. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's what Frank Mountain says to me. Yeah. He goes, I'm, I'm so tired impressed. of you. Yeah, he says this is what he says to me. We talk a lot on the phone and he'll go He'll call me up to complain about something and halfway through it he'll go, Wait a second. He goes, well, I can't complain to you. He goes what, what you've been through. He goes, It's not even fun talking to you anymore. I can't I can't even say what I want to say. <laughs> I'll call you later and he gets off the phone. But it's true, it's about appreciation and it's about yeah. recognizing you know, the hierarchy of, of some of this stuff, you know, and they're, yeah. they're going through something that's far bigger than what I'm going through. And, sure. I, and I love those guys and I, and I wish them the best, you know.
0: So I just want to thank you for coming in and, and sharing your story because it is, it has a couple of nice messages to it. Number one, CPR training is kind of John.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's that's something near and dear to my heart. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, I'm a firefighter EMT, uh, that's my real job. And, uh, Kevin and I just do this film festival and podcast stuff for fun. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a CPR instructor, and it's still, to this day, it blows me away they don't teach CPR in high school. Like, I think everybody on Earth, every human being on Earth should know CPR. Um, everybody can do it. And um, it's actually, it makes a nice little segue into, uh, in November, um, we're hoping you know, obviously with the COVID thing, you know, everything's up in the air. But in November, we're hoping to uh, bring an organization called the Bragg Institute, the big wave risk assessment group. Oh, yeah. um, Kevin and I went out to Hawaii in December and uh, and I went through the course and I'm actually going to uh, become an instructor for those guys. But we're hoping to bring that course here and offer it in conjunction with the film festival. And part of the course is that you get CPR certified. Um, and so just as surfers. Um, I mean, I think everybody ought to know it, but especially as surfers, like how many times have we gone to these far flung places all over the earth where there's literally no medical resources whatsoever and it's you and your buddies and that's all you got. And so, um, yeah, just a lot of importance there and, uh, for people to learn CPR and and be able to help their friends and have their friends help them. It's an easy thing. See, learning CPR
2: is an easy thing. It is. So if you think about that for a second, and you take a very small amount of, of your time, you know, um, you're not going to get a, a do over. You know, if it's if you have an opportunity to save a child or save a, your best friend or or a stranger, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's it's worth it. I mean, I'm living proof that I you know I was saved by CPR. And I know a lot of EMTs in town. I, I had Reese Lewis. I was talking to him. He said, I've cracked 100 breastbones yeah. and maybe saved three people. You know, it's it, if you have those skills, the impact that you, could, you can have is phenomenal. You know, and I'm, I'm living proof of
0: that. Well, and, yeah. you know, knowing CPR is one thing, but having the lucidity that Connor had yeah. to roll over and, and nail it with RP. You know, I mean, this, this whole situation is incredible. It's, it's unbelievably sad that you guys had to go through this because it must have infected, you know, affected everybody. But I'm, I'm happy to see where you're at as my friend, but also, you know, just a, a person out there trying to get back in the water and make yeah, it happen. I appreciate that.
2: And let me just say one thing, too. It's, it's this isn't just a story about me. You know, there were seven people there and every single person that was there did something Right or something that they could, you know. Uh, Josh and Trent ran for help, nine one one. Frank ran for help and and cleared my airways. Rob gave me CPR. Kate got Connor conscious. You know, tried to get him back. You know, conscious. Connor helped Rob by giving him directions. It was a it was a team effort uh, through and through, and um, we'll have those bonds you know, forever. Yeah. yeah, it's just phenomenal. So it isn't just my story. Those those guys all played a huge part in, in it and I just wanted to recognize them, you know, while I have the, the the opportunity and um let them know too how much I appreciate everything that they that they did for me. So
1: Well, that's great, Frank. Well, like Kevin said, uh we're super stoked to have you here today and um not always a fun uh, topic <laughs> you know to talk about but i, I love yeah. the fact that we can sit around and, and talk about it and, and have some laughs and it's just great to see your uh your attitude is infectious your positive right. attitude is infectious Thank and you. um Thanks. and like like i said kind of jokingly uh gosh man no- nobody's more optimistic than a florida surfer so <laughs> you got to be <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you'll never surf <laughs> it's ingrained it's ingrained in us from from the beginning <laughs> so true. Uh, we appreciate you sharing your story. Sure. Thanks, and, for having me. uh yeah, yeah, yeah. We look forward to seeing you in the water. Thanks, I Frank. It. Yep. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, gosh, Kevin, what what a story Frank has. Yeah. No, I'm just
0: uh, a little floored by it. I've had pieces brought to me by various people, including Frank, and this was way heavier than I thought it was going to be. And uh, I'm just happy he got to tell the story. I'm just glad my friend's alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. Um, And Hey, we'd love to hear your comments. Um, If you have any comments about Frank's story or questions or anything like that, um, you know, hit us up on Facebook, Florida surf film festival, uh, or Instagram at FL surf film fest. Um, Yeah, we'd love to get a little dialogue going and and hear your thoughts on the story. Um, Just some quick thank yous. Uh, Obviously, thank you to our presenting sponsor, Monster Energy. Um, Without those guys, we couldn't do any of this stuff. Uh, Thank you to David Lee Scales at Surf Splendor Podcast. He's given us some great advice as we uh, get going in this uh, new beginning here. Um, The festival... We'll hopefully resume in August. Um, We're not sure. We're trying to work out some details there, but we'll keep you updated on social media, and obviously you can go to our website, floridasurffilmfestival.com. Hit us up on email, info at floridasurffilmfestival.com if you have any questions. Uh, Coming down the pipe, we've got our book lineup. Um, We'll be doing that uh, in the end of August, and our first author that we'll be talking to is Chaz Smith with his new book, Reports from Hell. Um. So look for that coming up. Drops in July. You can pre-order now on Amazon. There you go. Yeah. So get get Charlie's book ahead of time, and then uh, enjoy a nice uh, little cocktail hour where we'll we'll talk to Charlie about uh, his book and his experience among writing it, among yeah. other things. Yeah.
0: By, by the way, I'd like to thank my wife, John.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd like to thank your wife too. Oh come <laughs> on. No obviously uh thanks uh, we,
0: to our uh, families and everybody's putting up with our uh, new project here.
1: absolutely yeah thanks to my wife as well for all the uh support appreciate it for all you movie buffs out there you'll notice the music from this episode comes from the 2002 film fifth symphony document by chad campbell great great surf movie and if you'd like to check out the soundtrack you can find it at bandcamp.com